0: i you New Year, everyone, and welcome to the January 6, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizziti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the brother of JonBenet Ramsey suing CBS for defamation following a documentary it broadcasted in 2016 indicated him as her killer. Burke Ramsey's $750 million claim alleges the CBS special perpetuated a fraud upon the public and was not based on fact. Patty Cahoon from Westward It's been 20 years, and we are still talking about the John B. Ramsey case on Colorado Inside Out.
1: And five years from now, we will be talking about it then, too. I'm going to buy a seat on the space shuttle just (laughs) to avoid it because it is not going to be solved by then. Although, ironically, this lawsuit could help if it actually makes it to the deposition stage. We might actually get some discovery. We might learn some new things. The fact that all this started in September, that CBS show was on so early, we had to hear Dr. Unctious Phil, who was horrible, who's represented by the same lawyer, now suing CBS. It just gets more and more
0: tangled. Craig Silverman, attorney with Silverman levis and a, a talk show host on KNUS. Is this a case that's simply going to be in the consciousness forever?
2: Yeah, it's a great murder mystery. And I think that if you get people under oath and have good questions, that some truth could emerge. Now, it's a hell of an accusation to say that Burke Ramsey killed his little sister. And it's defamatory, especially if they doctored the facts. This is based on the book by Telluride town marshal Jim Kolar, who used to work for the Boulder DA's office. His book, Foreign Faction, did not get much attention, but CBS bought the rights, and then they put on a heck of a special, it was by far the best of any of them. They built a replica Ramsey house in the old Fleming Law building on the CU campus, not far from the crime scene. They got Henry Lee, Dr. Werner Spitz, uh, Jim Clemente, Laura Richard, and they went into it and they produced some new evidence, including enhancing the 911 tape, where they claim you can hear John Ramsey telling his son, we're not talking to you, and Burke Ramsey is saying, what did you find? And Patsy Ramsey saying, holy Jesus. These are things that uh, destroy the Ramsey theory that Burke slept through it all. Then they have some interesting findings on the pineapple. And so it's going to be a fascinating civil case. And CBS has the resources to fight it.
0: Eric, Eric Soderman, political analyst, does this lawsuit simply perpetuate this tragic story? This story is going
3: to be perpetuated until we have a conclusion to it. And this might be one of those. I mean, there are cases, famous murder cases, where there is never a final resolution. And 20 years in, uh, you wouldn't want to bet otherwise uh, on this one. Craig is probably the antithesis of me in this, not in terms of our conclusions, but just in terms of the level of depth that he knows. And I never went into that level of depth 20 years ago and and, and, and haven't in the interim. But yet it is this strangely fascinating just because of all the circumstances of it, um, you know, this upscale family, this little four-, five-year-old, six-year-old beauty queen, um, et cetera. I think Burke Ramsey, after those allegations aired, after CBS went the route that CBS went, he had no choice but to sue whether he's guilty or not guilty to not sue for defamation um, was not a, t- a tenable course. And I think I would not bet against Patty here in terms of
0: her five-year prediction. <laughs> <laughs> Natasha Gardner, senior editor of 5280, uh, three-quarters of a billion dollars sounds about right, right?
4: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a heck of a lot of money. Um, but the 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 Audience for this case alone probably warrants it. I mean, we've heard there's certainly been the the stuff that has already come out and been po- broadcast in the last few months. But it sounds like Netflix is now going to do a, a series as well. So it never ends. It seems to be a sort of never-ending appetite for this sort of story, with absolutely no connection to the Ramsey case at all. What I'm fascinated by is is why we we spend so much time paying attention to this one child. I mean, I've done a lot of work on these type of stories. There are so many kids that are lost mm-hmm. every single. Day. I just wish that we could use some of those resources and a, a, you know, attention span mm. on some of those other cases as well.
0: Well put. Denver Police Chief Robert White announced on Wednesday the department's new use of force policy set to take effect on March 1st. The new policy instructs officers to implement de-escalation tactics limiting the use of weapons when dealing with citizens and the policy has been criticized by the police union and citizens alike for failure to include outside input in the initial draft. Patty, this feels like something where the Denver police are trying to do something right and still find a way to possibly do it wrong. What do you think?
1: Well, it's not the policy that's the problem so much. It's the process that led to it. And if there's been a major problem with the Hancock administration, it's been that they're not transparent. They do not take public input. They don't talk about what they're doing. I thought the Denver Sheriff's Department had learned a pretty good lesson with Patrick Furman. They really, I mean, they were as public as public could be and maybe had way too many studies and way too many hearings, but at least when they came through with their new policies, everyone thought they would had a, had a say. Obviously communities care. The police union cares. You need to have that input. Even if you're going to ignore it, you need to collect it. So it's ironic that it's a pretty good policy. Even Nick Mitchell, the independent monitor, says looks pretty good, except maybe for some language. But he wasn't ad- advised in advance of what was coming down. So uh, I, maybe a B for the policy, a D for the process.
0: Craig, as a former member of the Denver District Attorney's Office, you have a unique perspective here. What do you think of the new policy announced, and then how they should go about any possible public input?
2: Well, there are some politics involved. You mentioned one, Nick. I'd mention Nick Rogers, head of the largest police union. He says he wasn't consulted. He's upset with the policy. Normally, cops like to be aggressive. This is sort of telling them to back off. The new game changer, in my mind, and why this is announced now, is Beth McCann, who will take over for Mitch Morrissey come next Tuesday. Beth McCann criticized the Denver police and criticized Mitch Morrissey. And she's made it clear with Lamar Sims, who I worked with, Doug Jackson, who I worked with, both veteran chief deputies were involved in the decision-making, which always seemed to be in favor of the police who did the shooting. They are not going to be retained by Beth McCann. That word just came down. So there's a new day in Denver with a new Denver district attorney, And Beth McCann will be different than Mitch Morrissey, and I expect she had some input into the police making these changes.
0: Eric, we've talked around this table many times, especially with some great analysis about the optics of a situation. From what this looks like right now, how could the optics be improved from this policy and its uh, display for public input? Well, I think Patty was probably
3: right here in, ter- in terms
0: of bifurcating
3: this into the substance of the policy and the process. In defense of the process, and I'm not usually one to jump to the defense of the Hancock administration, but in defense, when you talk, Dominic, about an initial draft, there's a key word in that phrase, which is draft. This is not a final document. It is a draft. Now people are being, are able to react to that draft, which isn't wholly inappropriate. Craig, I think, hit the nail on the head in terms of the transition that is taking place next week in the district attorney's office. This is a a necessary transition. Twelve years is a long time. And whether or not Mitch Morrissey's course of action and the chief deputies that Craig mentioned, whether that has been correct in a case-by-case basis, it is time for a fresh look. It is time for a fresh start uh, in that office. So this is a a healthy, uh, necessary changeover. The key here as I think all of us understand, is finding a sweet spot. You don't, and the policy seems to try to do that, which is not just that cops need to follow the letter of the law, but that there needs to be uh, some human judgment of not just is it legal, but is it necessary, is it rational, is it appropriate. But at the same time, you don't want to handcuff cops so much that you end up with uh, Chicago and other situations uh, where, you know, the violence, which was already at high levels, just continues to escalate because cops are basically sitting under hands
0: for lack of public support. Finding the sweet spot is the key. That's a good point. We should remind our viewers that if you like to send input to Denver Police, you can be send it to dpdplanning at denvergov.org. Natasha, you and 5280 have done some fantastic work looking at um, police issues, police force, a lot of stuff, especially in 2016. What are your thoughts on this issue?
4: Well, I think that email you just put up there is probably the most important. If people feel like the process was incorrect and they have input, they should give it at this time. Absolutely. We can bicker about whether it was done correctly or not. But regardless, do we want a better policy? If we want a better policy, tell tell our police department what they should do about it. some things that I like about the use of force changes is that there's talk about emotional intelligence. Let's use let's use our brains to pick what the right use of force is in a situation. It's looking not only what you can do, but what is necessary, what is appropriate for a setting. And I think those are are the type of terms and phrases that anyone involved in the situation can can probably rally around and find a, a common point on. So I guess that's what I, I would encourage people to do at this point, and maybe. Put this, chuck this up in the lesson learned. Let's not do this next time, but let's, okay, let's take this as a moment to really build something the city can be proud of.
0: Six NAACP officials, including its national president, were arrested on Tuesday after protesting President elect Donald Trump's nominee for Attorney General. Jeff Sessions. Both Democratic lawmakers and civil rights groups have come out against the nomination, accusing Sessions of being racist, which Donald Trump has denied. Craig, is this just the uh, beginning for some of the fights that Donald, uh, President Donald Trump will possibly f- uh, face with his uh, nominations?
2: Yes, I mean, Scott Pruitt will be challenged at the EPA because he's a climate change denier. That's going to be good, but Jeff Sessions is really interesting. The man was rejected as federal judge way back in 1986, and he's been in a feud with the NAACP ever since then. He called them a communist-inspired organization way back when, and they haven't forgot. Now, it's not just the NAACP, but 1,330 law professors from 178 different law schools have signed an open letter against Jeff Sessions. He's a controversial nominee, but... Donald Trump will stand by him because Jeff Sessions was the first big-time politician to back him. He famously, in Mobile, Alabama, put on the Make America Great Again hat, and Jeff Sessions stood by Donald Trump. I expect uh, Trump to stand by him. Sessions, a former Eagle Scout, he did serve for a long time as a prosecutor on the federal side and the state side as attorney general. He's up for the fight, and it'll be interesting to see what his senatorial colleagues uh, think about Jeff Sessions. After all, he served in that body and nobody really complained about it for years and years. But the NAACP is not going to let this go. And, you know, he said he thought the KKK was okay until he learned they smoked marijuana. He said he was joking when he said that. He did seek and obtain the death penalty against a KKK guy when he was a prosecutor, but. Uh, The marijuana issue for Colorado, that's even more interesting with Jeff Sessions. He's going to have people coming at him from every direction.
0: Eric, we know from tweets released from the NAACP that they intended to be arrested, or at least that was part of it. It, This was certainly set up to have uh, the media there and things like that. But is this kind of a, uh, whether you call it a media stunt or a protest, is it effective? It's effective.
3: We're talking about it sure. on the show, um, and, yeah. and, and, and people are talking about it around the country. So certainly, uh, it, it has its effect. I think we can be safe in one prediction: this will be not the last act of civil disobedience uh, that we see over Trump actions, Trump nominations, Trump appointments. Uh, the, the the left here in this country is energized, activated, enraged. Uh, they'll be heard from. What the Democrats need to figure out, particularly the Democrats in the U.S. Senate, the forty-eight of them is which nominations they want to fight. If they completely scatter shot and some want to go after Pruitt and some want to go after Betsy DeVos and some want to go after Rex Tillerson, some want to go after uh, Jeff Sessions, that won't work. I think the Democrats, I'm guessing Chuck Schumer, their leader, will at some point coalesce them and say, if we're going to make a stand... Here's the stand we're going to make. My gut tells me it probably will not be on Jeff Sessions, but I I could be wrong about that. I think the epicenter of the party is much more the Green Movement, which would indicate maybe we go after Pruitt um, or Tillerson in terms of everything about uh, Russia here. I sometimes get dubious of trying to ascertain what is in somebody's heart. I don't know what's in Jeff Sessions' heart. I think the racist charge has somewhat been debunked over the years. Uh, If there's something about Jeff Sessions that bothers me, it's a policy issue, particularly around immigration issues. I think you judge people about what they do and it's trying to divine motive and what is in somebody's head and heart in the dark of night. It can be a dangerous road, and I try not to engage in, in, in that exercise when I can avoid it.
0: Natasha, let's uh, pick up on what Eric was saying about uh, the scattershot effect. Do you think whether it's the Senate Democrats or other critics will be able to focus their energy uh, or will it be too tempting because there's a variety of areas, it's, it's a target-rich environment, let's say.
4: Right. And I think people are, are both thriving and, and um, you know floundering in that environment. It's very easy to take a name and a nominee and immediately have a complaint about him. Um, but it seems like they're doing that with every nominee, that there's been um, quite a bit of discourse about every person who comes across the table. And that's just not going to work in American politics. Some of these people are going to be on his cabinet. And I think Sessions is going to be one of them. That being said, I applaud the NAACP for using their voice, using their platform to bring an issue that is extremely important to them to the light. People should know about it.
0: Patty, this sounds like an opening bell to a very divisive 2017.
4: And plenty of things for us to talk about at this table. You
1: know, one of the things we have to move beyond is labels, although Pop smoking KKK members is one of the newest and greatest ones we've heard. But there are so many nuances here. There's so many uh, different reasons you might object to a, n- a nominee, Reasons you might like that nominee. I think Natasha's right that Sessions will probably make it through because he's been in the Senate for a while. That's not where they're going to pick the fight. What I'm pretty sure we all will agree on is this is going to be a year when everyone begins to learn a lot more about their constitutional rights, about the First Amendment. We just finally had a turnaround that protesters will be able to get permits on the inauguration day and the next day. That's a good move. So Everyone's going to be keeping an eye out just to see where rights are infringed upon.
0: Three of the four Republicans in Colorado's congressional delegation opposed a private vote on Tuesday held by House Republicans to revamp the Office of Congressional Ethics. Following criticism from Democratic lawmakers and President-elect Donald Trump, Republicans later reversed the decision. Eric, we, we don't know how Scott Tipton voted at this point. So that's why we said three of four. He didn't release how he voted. Not going to again. We can't confirm it, but you know, I think we can draw off whatever we like from that. How did, even if you are going to be have all the majorities? You have the House, you have the Senate, you have the executive branch. What inspires House Republicans to come up with this kind of strategy? Befuddles me. Befuddles me.
3: Uh, I'm not a big tennis guy, but I'll go with the tennis term. It was an unforced error. There are enough in politics where you get boxed into a corner and, 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 and you do something stupid. No one boxed them into a corner here. They chose this path. And it's a question of what were you thinking? All of a sudden, Republicans keep talking about this incredible new opportunity they have that no one expected least of all, most of the Republicans that they would have here. And they play this as their opening card. The real punchline to me, Dominic, is we'll see how long the power lasts. But right now, a Trump tweet is a powerful tool. And he shut this thing down in 140 characters uh, by calling the Republicans on it. And he demonstrated in doing that that he can fire on his own troops just as much as he can fire on opposition troops. Uh, and he brought them into line. Uh, I don't anticipate this will last forever, but right now he is king of that kingdom.
0: If uh, Donald Trump has said a lot about you know, protecting jobs, and he's certainly protecting jobs at Twitter, uh, you can at least say that much. Uh, Natasha, do do House Republicans need to be careful to not overplay their hand? If, if this is an example of what they're thinking, uh, it seems like that is a danger. What do you think?
4: Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that most people, if you would ask them to place a bet on what the first news out of this session would have been, it would have been about Obamacare, would have been about affordable health care. And then all of a sudden, it's them having to reverse course and give up power, which it, it, this this was a a really baffling moment, I think, for most people um, looking at it. But I think in addition to Trump's tweet being very powerful, it was a great reminder that the, the people are powerful too. I mean, we know that people took to the phone lines, um, you know, the good old-fashioned calling their their congresspeople and saying, hey, we don't agree with this. And it had an effort. And actually, that's become kind of a theme at this table today, is a reminder that these people are, the, the, our politicians are voted in by us. And we have a say. So I think we're going to see people using that throughout the term. So they have a pretty pretty great opportunity here to to make history. The question is, will it be history like they could this this ethics question, or will it be doing something that actually changes America?
0: Uh, Patty, were you surprised to see Donald Trump err on the, the side of the critics in this case?
1: I will say I was pleased. I mean, uh, and the fact that it had fast action you were talking about playing a hand you know in bridge the irony is you've got the trump card and who who would think he could play it so well and so quickly on this completely boneheaded tone-deaf move by the republicans you really wonder what they were thinking were they thinking we can do anything we want now because of the november election or were they just not thinking
0: craig i'll let you finish it up what do you think of what we saw out of dc this week Well, the optics
2: were terrible, and we found out who's the boss. Donald Trump is the boss, although he didn't tell Kellyanne Conway, who was on Morning TV defending the move. Paul Ryan said he was against it. Well, you're Speaker of the House. Why did it turn out this way? I don't know any Republicans who are standing up and saying, yes, I voted for it, but it passed overwhelmingly. Our local legislators say, I didn't vote for it, but... Uh, it turns out there were more than enough votes until Donald Trump sent out his tweet and they reversed course. He established he is the boss.
0: Certainly the most powerful Twitter account around. Well, uh, since we had three weeks off, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of uh, space here, so I want to give us plenty of time to say our disgrace of the week. Patty, you've had three weeks to think about it. You're first up.
1: I have about three weeks' worth of disgraces, <laughs> including the, you know, another round of John JonBenet stuff. But back to an old favorite. Frontier Airlines. For the people who were trying to get home for the holidays, who did take advantage of low-cost fares, that's true. But just because you're taking advantage of low-cost fares doesn't mean you need to be treated like you're worth nothing, which is what Frontier did initially with that first round of cancellations. They seem to be doing better now, but we, w- we wrote some stories, we collected some horror stories, too, and some of the people who were stuck in the airport for four days, who couldn't get home for the holidays, who couldn't get a refund, just one bad story after another. Communications director left. Let's hope Frontier has a better 2017.
0: I have a feeling if we created a, a CIO Disgrace we call a Fame, they did have a special spot. Craig.
2: Wow. Thank you for letting us reach back a few weeks because I'm still stunned by the backstabbing of Barack Obama and John Kerry to the Jewish State of Israel. After they were voted out of power, uh, as Alan Dershowitz said, uh, this was undemocratic. Let Donald Trump have a stab at trying to have Middle East peace without allowing a U.N. resolution that puts Israel in a bad situation. Will be hard to reverse wasn't just Barack Obama and the failure to use the United Nations veto. It was John Kerry with that ridiculous one-sided speech. Shame on those guys. And I hope Donald Trump and his administration can find a way to undo it.
3: Eric. I'll echo Craig's conclusion, although I come at it in a very different way. I don't think this was undemocratic in the sense that that Barack Obama and John Kerry should have waited for Donald Trump. You have one president at a time. Barack Obama is the president until noon on January 20th. I thought it was appropriate that Obama exercised the powers of his presidency. He and Kerry were wrong on the substance of what they did. With that out of the way, since we have a, a bit of time here, the Jefferson County School Board, the new school board that ran in that whole ugly recall process and were largely elected on promises of a new era, more transparency, more openness, they can have the superintendent they want. And if Dan McMinimi is not their superintendent, that's fine. There's no obligation to renew his contract. But the manner behind closed doors in which they carried this out completely violated the spirit
0: of the campaign that brought them in there. Transparency transparency always seems to be a really good idea when you're not in power. Then once you're in power, uh, Natasha.
4: There was a report that came out, speaking of transparency, looking at guardrails around Colorado. And anyone who's driven on a mountain road knows how important those are. Um, they found numerous problems. Um, I think it's over 300 mm-hmm. areas that they want to check. Um, what's interesting is that it appears that the guardrail parts individually are maybe up to spec, but together they may not work so well. So I'm glad the report has come out. It looks like everyone is, is making efforts to figure out what the next steps are, but um, let, let's get that done soon.
0: <laughs> Sounds like guardrails are mimicking politics. They're the same kind of people, but they just don't get along. That makes sense. Say something nice about somebody in 2017. Patty, your first up.
1: Yeehaw, the 111th National Western Stock Show is coming to town. No parade this week, but they'll be at the National Western Complex for 10 days. Everybody should get out there, and then they should study what the city is planning on doing with the big billion dollar project coming up. Make sure you understand how it's funded. Make sure you think it's going to be a good amenity. Pay attention.
2: Craig. Two very good people who touched my lives are being buried today. Ray Kaplis, father of my good friend Dan Kaplis, passed away. He served with distinction on the Chicago Police Department. Rest in peace, Ray Kaplis. And then uh, a guy I worked with in the DA's office, Ferdinand Freddy, the Bull Torres, passed away unexpectedly. He's being buried today in Denver. He was a good man, a good lawyer, great family man. We'll miss you, Freddy.
3: Eric. I'm privileged to serve on the board of the Colorado Symphony, which is a wonderful institution in Denver. This has been an institution that was fragile for a number of years and uh, is not quite so fragile these days. From scrambling financially, it's the first year that they finished with a surplus of $2 million in the bank, an endowment that has grown from $2 million to $20 million, a new music director. Good things are happening at the Colorado Symphony. Viewers should buy some tickets.
0: Natasha?
4: I would have to say the return of the Winter Park ski train. Um, The nice thing about being on the train is you don't have to worry about the guardrails.
0: I want to add a say-something nice before we close. Last week, this program lost one of its biggest fans. Don Afani was a fixture in the Colorado community, and he truly embodied service to his fellow man. You're seeing his photo on the screen right now because he was part of a street-level episode that we did about Navajo Street earlier this year. He left this world much better than he found it. And I'll close with a phrase that Don loved to say, and I'm sure he heard it from the many, many people he served throughout his life. You make me happy. Godspeed, Don. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dezuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.